like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. Right before we finish tonight, I was just going to mention there's a guy that I've known for quite a while. We've known for quite a while, and he's uh, he's a great friend and he's a great artist, and uh, he's he's got an eye for architecture. He really loves the land. He's a world traveler. Uh, He paints. He skateboards. Uh, He's a great great friend, a great companion. And uh, and a great member uh, of this band, it's Jeff Ament. You know, it's always interesting. Uh, it's an interesting barometer of what kind of, uh, what, what type of human being a person is when they, uh, when they acquire a bit of money. What do they do with that money? Where do they spend it on? Who do they take care of? What do they do for themselves? Where do they, you know, how, wh- who are the other people they take care of? And I'll tell you, when, when Jeff got a bit of money from our band working in Seattle, the first thing he did was move back here. That's quite a while ago. I think by knowing his past, he sees into the future, and he loves this land, he loves this community, and uh, if he's back in John Tester, then he must be the guy, because he wouldn't lead us astray. So that's all I wanted to say. You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we are coming off of a week where, yes, we were supposed to have two Pearl Jam shows to finish out this tour, but unfortunately, we couldn't get there, we just missed it, 
because Cameron got COVID a week beforehand. Now the unfortunate situation with Jeff getting COVID has ended the tour abruptly. And now we have to kind of figure out what's going to happen in Europe and even what the game plan for September is going to be, because you know that they're going to be very, very protective of this stuff going forward. So we're going to talk a little bit about the situation at hand and what happened. If you want more for that, head on over to Patreon for the specific cancellation episode that we have. There's going to be a lot more there, but we'll, we'll touch up on it here and not purposefully, but we actually kind of with Jeff in mind, This show, obviously being the last of the Vault series that we have to cover, this is Missoula. And it's a Jeff show based off of it being his hometown. There's a lot of love for him here. There's a couple of his songs that are being played. And this was on the schedule originally, but I think that we can use this as a tribute to Jeff to say, just get well soon, buddy. And hopefully this passes. Hopefully it's close to passing. And then you know, hopefully they'll be able to get on the road soon. So it's kind of perfect timing, but unfortunate that Jeff had to be in this situation, but really hope that he's recovering well. And just for that, if he's listening, which he's not, then he'll have a show that he knows that he'll celebrate because a good friend of his was running for Senate. And guess what? He won. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello. Hey. Eventful week that we had. A little bit, yeah, I'd say. What's uh, what's the thing to touch up on? Well, just that they almost pulled it off. Like, everything went wrong, and they still almost pulled it off. Like, they got through seven of the nine shows, and you just feel so bad for them, you know, having to... And it, they, they're canceled. They're not postponed or anything. Those shows are, are canceled for the time being. Which I think is the right call because yeah, you then, can't put these people through another right. year-long wait or whatever it would end right. up Right, spending for flights and hotels yeah. again. And yeah. then what if it happens again? Then people are going to be pissed at that point. So, yeah, I, I agree yeah. with the idea of cancellation. And you picture them scrambling, you know, last minute. I can just see the look on Ed's face like, we're not going to be able to play the show, guys. Like, we're going to have to cancel. And after everything that they had gone through for that tour, to have it kind of fall apart like that, you just feel so bad for them. And it's just, if it had been in February or March, maybe they would have been able to get through it when things weren't as bad. But things are getting bad again. So this is what we have to deal with. And, like, we did hear from Klinghoffer that Matt is doing a lot better. He's on the other end of it. Jeff is fine. It's not a serious case. He's going to be on the other end of it very soon if he's not already. Actually, he kind of let slip that Cameron was going to be back for Vegas. You know, we don't know in what capacity, if it was going to be for a full show or if they were going to bring him back just to split time and still have Kristen and Stu Root and Klinghoffer around and kind of mix and match. But that comeback would have been an amazing end to this leg. But now we've got to wait for Europe. And now, like everything's up in the air for the summer. Like, yes, they're going to get back in that bubble and they're going to give another shot and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, none of the rest of this year is guaranteed, guys. We'll just, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, you had two pretty prominent quotes when we did the reaction episode to all this. One of them was that they put it together with duct tape and, and string and it yeah. stayed together for as long as it could, but then finally fell apart. And the other one was... 
you know, you can't put a Band-Aid on an amputation. So Right, yeah, when you're looking at your, your rhythm section with Jeff and Matt being out, you just can't replace that. You know, people are like, call whoever, and like, they, they were able to replace Cameron. Like, that was a last resort crisis mode situation. Like, in any other situation, any other year, they canceled those shows when Cameron's not there. But because they had already been postponed for two years... They just felt like they couldn't do that again. So they tried to push through and they gave it a valiant effort, but they just couldn't hold it together. Let me bring this up. Do you think that if it were flipped around and I think that what they did was really smart, they booked all of the makeup dates first so that if this were to happen, at least the people that were waiting for two years got what they were waiting for. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And had that not have happened, say that San Diego was in replacement of Vegas or Oakland was in replacement of, of Sacramento. Yeah. Like what do they do in that situation? Like they, they can't just say, all right, we're calling it quits. That's, that's two years that they were waiting for this. It's kind of unfair to hold on to their tickets, hold on to their money and then just kind of say, nope, not happening, you know? Yeah, I mean, these are unprecedented times. You know, we're in uncharted territory here. Like, they're just kind of figuring out as they go. They did the best they could. Yeah. And there's no guidebook. There's no blueprint for, like, this is what you do when two-fifths of your band gets COVID. And, like, they had no choice, really. I got to think, like, they would not have done this if there had been any other option. Yeah, and I think that replacing Cameron, we saw, was extremely difficult. However, they got through it, and they got through it well. You know, bringing in Suvard, bringing in Klinghoffer, who was already on deck there, and then bringing in Cruzen for the Fresno show. Yeah. Those were things that held it together. But even so, there might have been a point where you could say it just isn't working anymore, that they wouldn't have a way to go deeper into the catalog. They wouldn't be able to do any gigaton stuff. And yeah, it wouldn't have and, been, it wouldn't have been a Pearl Jam show. It would have been right. Like a, like a replacement a show. Pearl Jam. Yeah, exactly. Like going to see a Pearl Jam cover band. And I fully agree. And look, who knows if Jeff would have gotten it first, would Josh have played bass? Like that's extremely difficult to replace. Oh, yeah, Jeff. I don't know about that. Extremely yeah. like they wouldn't even be able to play. Why go or Jeremy, anything on 12 string or anything. Like I don't, foresee josh being able to play upright so no daughter you know no indifference or anything like that so it's a difficult situation and i think that they made the right call because yeah if they even said like all right base tech come on in then people are watching this and they're like what am i watching here this isn't actually pearl jam it's like i guess the best example is like the living members of you know, Leonard Skinner or something like that, like going on tour, but it's not Van Zandt or any, anybody, you know, it's like, or even like, you know, the, the NFL replacement players when they did that in the the nineties, yeah. When they brought in those guys and it was like, you're going to see your favorite team, but it's not your favorite players there. So it's kind of like, yeah, this is a little strange. Like it's still my team. Like it's still the, still the same songs that I like, still the same uniform, but just something's off. It would just, it just would have been off. Yeah, that's a fair point. What we should address too, that we addressed on the reaction episode is that in Vegas, we were able to kind of, and, and Sacramento too. And Sacramento was really just kind of like, geez, what are we going to do? And kind of like a little bit of moping around until we we're like, all right, guys, we just need to all 
just be together on this and have a good time with one another. And it happened. It, it happened. And when Vegas came along and we were like, okay, we got to do something in Vegas. It's, it's, it's Vegas. Like, how do you not put something together? I just want to say like the, the karaoke that we did on Friday night was just so much fun. It was one of the most fun I've ever had at a Pearl Jam related event, like a pre-show or anything like that. I didn't expect that many people to be there. I didn't expect that many people to be that good. We had a lot of good people singing. We had a lot of good energy. We had Eric from the Alive cover band that played, I think, the following night. And he was like a mini Eddie. He was very, very good. That's the kind of thing that we as Pearl Jam fans should be proud of, you know, making lemonade out of lemons. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade kind of deal. And all of us coming together in a moment where we could have just hung our head and felt sorry for ourselves and we didn't. And we all wanted to be in this situation celebrating the band as much as celebrating being around one another. And I think that that altogether made the weekend memorable and it's difficult saying like, of course, a show would have made the weekend be memorable because it's a show and you always remember your shows. But like this was special. This was something that we wouldn't have ever attempted in any other situation. So I just want to give a shout out to everybody that came, everybody that helped put this together, like Gina Rivera and Andrew Taylor as well, because Andrew Taylor kind of nudged it. And I won't lie when in Sacramento, I did mention to a couple people that we were with, like, let's find karaoke and just sing Pearl Jam songs ourselves. And I think that stars aligned and we all kind of had the same idea once and we just connected on it. And who knows, maybe this could be, a thing. Maybe this could be like once a tour, we'll find a karaoke night to do before a show. And I, I'm looking right now, Nashville has kind of been mentioned. So if anybody's going to Nashville, maybe we can try to do the night before. We'll figure it out. But again, for everybody that came, thank you so much for coming. And just a very, very memorable experience when it could have been the absolute dumps. All right, let's get into a little bit about what this show was about. Obviously, this is the last vault that we're doing. I believe this was vault number eight. And, you know, this one was never released on bootleg because this was considered a rally for John Tester, who was running for U.S. Senate at the time, which is pretty important because Montana is not known as a democratic state. They're rural, they're in a mountainous, so they're very, very Republican. And that's what it's like up there. They usually hire Republicans to, to do the job in Washington. And, you know, the, the mayor, Big Sandy, obviously had a big backing from Jeff and has had a big backing from Jeff and all the other times that they've came together and, and done a pro John Tester rally. And, and you have to think in 2012, they did it in 2018. They did it as well. Yep. So it's just another chapter of Pearl jam being active and proactive and trying to get the word out for somebody that was going to do good for their country. And when you look at it today, still a Democrat in a Republican state, and he still has a Senate seat that many years later. And, and two, like they were just coming off of the Vote for Change tour in late 2004. So this is still kind of in the same era as that. Yeah, it seems like 
this is the first real show because the only other things they did in 2005 beforehand were a gig at the Paramount, which I believe was like a, a thing for Stone's friend, I believe. And they didn't play many songs that night. Yeah, that's there's not not much is known about that one. Right. And then they played Easy Street Records, which obviously mm-hmm. they don't have their entire catalog for as well. So this is like the first real legit 25 song set. And you're looking at a long, it's a long break that explains a lot of the first half of this, the show. Yeah, there are little bumps. There are little bumps in the road for sure. Mm-hmm. But whenever they do have that bump, it's not like it ends on a catastrophe. It usually ends pretty well. They usually kind of figure it out as they go. They're, they're, you know, obviously very established with one another. We'll get to talking about those points when we hit them. So let's get into the show. And start off, Jeff is on stage, he thanks everybody for coming, knows it wasn't easy to get tickets, and he thanks a list of folks like Kelly Curtis and I guess more members of the crew and then the band as well for putting together his hometown show, and then he thanks the band, introduces the next senator of Montana, John Tester. Hey, I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. I want to thank everybody who helped set it up. I most importantly want to thank Jeff Amon and Pearl Jam. This is what happens when a dirt farmer from Big Sandy runs for the U.S. Senate, teamed up with a teamed up with a bass player from Big Sandy and a world-class band. We're just a couple of Montana boys trying to have a good time. I present to you, Pearl Jam! After the tester speech, you know, the band goes right into a song that they don't open with very often. The first nine songs are going to be four from Yield, crazy enough. And this is going to open the night. MFC, for the seventh time, is opening a Pearl Jam show. after that speech you can't come out into release or a long road like you can't get hit half oh day. for they sure up and be like and here we go and you're gonna go you know play two or three slow songs no no not at all the energy's high right from the start so yeah they're gonna start with three four five six fast ones here and i think it sets the tone because the tone of this night there's not a lot of hits sure. you have your even flow you have daughter you have alive you have better man but that's not really definitive of what the show is and there's going to be a lot of rare cuts 
from Lost Dogs. Lost Dogs is anything else. Yeah, so MFC is kind of telling you right away, like, ooh, okay, this is something they don't do. All right, let's kind of pay attention to this one. And you know what? This is kind of what I thought when when here in MFC, and it's always a thought that I've had, but never really put much weight into saying it out loud. So I'm going to say it out loud. MFC has always been the song that I thought was playing when I look at the album cover of Yield. And when you think about that, that photograph was taken in Montana. So there's some kind of tie with that, I think. You know, being a driving song, the album being a photograph of a stray road with a random yield sign with nothing to have to yield to. And it just feels like MFC, you're listening to it and they're driving in the openness. You know, they're driving in kind of the the great beyond almost. And I think that that kind of setting, that kind of scene fits Montana perfectly. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, and I never thought of it that way. But yeah, it makes sense. You know, it's wide open. Like I said, it gives you the feeling of being on an open road somewhere by yourself, maybe in the middle of the night. Yeah, I think I could see that. There's no gnawing in either section, but we do get an extended outro on this. And I really enjoyed the extended outro. I thought that was a, a nice piece. And I always mention that whenever the song comes up, I mention both things and we get one without the other. But it feels like they were kind of, again, this is the first song that they're really playing to a big live crowd in a long time so they probably feel like okay this is kind of getting down to business we should just attack it you know i think too it was they were making up for when ed screwed up the lyrics yeah there's a lot of that if you're a stickler for the technical mistakes i'm looking at a letter at a former co-host of this show right now um this, yeah. this might not be the show for you no, no, that could have been a three-hour show in a different era, but <laughs> we promise we won't we won't let it get that crazy. All right, so the three following after that are Save You, Evolution, and Half Full. Like I said, it's kind of Yield Riot Act, Yield Riot Act to kind of kick you off. There are mistakes in these. There are mistakes. Evolution has a, little, a bunch. A little, rusty, a little rusty around the edges, yeah. Yeah, Evolution's got hiccups, but, you know, I didn't feel like the song derailed at all. It's those little things that, like, yeah, someone had their finger in the wrong place or someone right, you know, missed one thing, but they're, you know, they're like, okay, get it back up. It's not till the first one of the next set that it really gets off the rails a little bit. The one thing about evolution that I don't know if it was a mistake or not, and I don't know if they made those lemons into lemonade, but Stone's second solo on this. It feels like he kind of brought it over back into the remaining verse, and he doesn't usually do that, so I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if he was just kind of making up for a flub mistake in there. Cause that, that solo, I didn't think was like one of the super powerful ones that he's done in the past. It didn't really sound like that machine gun kind of tone. It was just, it was pretty clean. It was pretty normal, but he kind of extends it into the song. Yeah. I think that's more just, he doesn't feel comfortable like letting loose when they haven't played in 10 months, you know, like a real show. So they were a little tentative here. And, you know, after the mistake, you start off with a couple of mistakes and it gets in your head a little bit. And these guys are human, aside from Cameron. But they're, you know, they're going to get in their own heads. I'm like, okay, let me just rein this in and make sure I get through it and not go off the rails in case someone messes up again. Let's tighten it up, get through these, and then we'll, we'll get back into it later. So what'd you think of Half Full? Because I was Pretty listening good. to Half Full. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what did like, you think of Mike's performance on it? Because usually 
when you hear half full, you're kind of expecting like bluesy Stevie Ray Vaughan mic to mm-hmm. come out. But mm-hmm. this more felt like, you know, similar to what he would do on Evenflow with a little bit of restriction on it, if you know what I mean. It was more rock and roll than it was blues. Yeah, it's definitely different from the 2003 versions. And, you know, Mike is different in 2005 than he was in 2003. Yeah. Especially, you know, early on in this. And, like, you know, that's going to lead into to 2006 and, you know, going forward. But it didn't have the full, like, you picture, you know, the full head back going full throttle on it like he was a couple years prior to this. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it was, like situational because yeah. they usually don't play half full this early in the set and I, I you have to go back to easy street they open with it at easy street which is interesting but also that's a, a different situation that's a, a small record store show compared to and i don't know how, how many were in attendance on this night probably less because jeff makes note of it being a tough ticket to get but it feels like that's a song that they have to build to and maybe Mike wasn't quite built to it yet. It just didn't feel like he was just ready for that moment. That doesn't mean other times he's not. Let's just say it's happenstance because they haven't played really together in, in a full year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this is a good Mike tour. Let's just put it that way. Oh, 2005 in Canada, everybody was on their game. This is a very, very good tour year. We want to talk about some of the flubs, some of the differences, and some of the, I guess, like, different attempts they were trying to make at songs, just sort of, you know, working around what they usually do. Insignificance is probably the definitive answer for that. is singing it much differently and I don't know if it's a case of he got into the song late and then he kind of took it in a direction so he can sort of catch up with the rest of the band but it's definitely not so like insignificant yeah this is a little bit of a train wreck you could tell they were all trying to get to that first break so that they could get back on time with each other this came very close to being aborted and we're going to talk about one in a little bit from the same record that was but yeah this was all over the place in a bad way but then they get to the break to the stop and then Cameron kicks it back in and everybody's good from there on out so they were lucky that that they made it to that break and they were able to pick it back up musically after that it was it was pretty great and and you have to think guitar tones you know it's just got like that juicy ring to it like I love when insignificance can kind of use those guitars and just sort of project a little bit on those notes and whenever that sound comes up you're just like whoa like that tone kind of goes into the mystique of the song kind of the just sort of darkness to it as well and then obviously the build into the end there's a fucking phenomenal matte fill that transitions into that and that kind of ramps things up and gets you to the end there very very good 
but at the end of Insignificance, they really don't seem to know how to end it. Yeah, I think that goes back to the beginning. I can see them kind of looking around and stop. Right. Yeah. Usually it has that kind of that stamp on it, that sting to it. Yeah. But no, this version kind of lingered a little bit. They're like, uh, uh, it, it didn't have that dun on dun Like, that's what makes that song legit. But Given to Fly kind of happens right after that. So it's the same thing. They get lost halfway through it and have to like figure it out again to get back on track with it. It's the same thing. You got to think how much time did they spend kind of rehearsing beforehand? And like, did they do it for a couple of weeks or were they just like, all right, let's go into this one cold. And then we have a couple of days to, to hit up the gorge and we'll really yeah. work on a master set list for the gorge. I wonder if that was part of it because in mind too, that they've, they've got new songs that they're not playing here. Like they've already sure, got yeah. the avocado record, probably mostly written at this point. I think it we'll was talk about that in a minute too, but they're working on new stuff. So they haven't probably gone back and and played cause they've probably been recording. And, you know, I think we talked about, they had filmed the, the life wasted video a couple of days after this in the gorge. Yeah. In the gorge. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're already, their minds already going to new stuff, even though they're not playing any of it here. Sure. That's fair. And that makes sense that they didn't want to debut anything at the time. Yeah. I, I don't think the album was fully fleshed out yet. Cause you got to think gone was written in Asbury sure. park. Sure. You know, uh, like September, they're, they're, October. They're in the process of writing and recording already. Correct, correct. Ed talks here on behalf of the band and the band being from Seattle, a toast to all of our neighbors here in Montana. On Jeff's behalf, a toast to all his neighbors. This stretch of shows, we're going to be playing some stuff that we haven't played before or only once before. It comes from a lot of B-sides that are 10 and 14 years old. This one is six years old and knows how to ride a bike. It's sad. sad and i think it's probably at the top of my list of songs that i want to hear i thought that this even had some hesitation in places you know like it felt like the intro didn't have that like three guitar attack on it and it, it was just missing that like extra just heaviness that extra rip to it and it didn't throw me off of the song at all but i definitely noticed it wasn't kind of pitch perfect version of, of the song and granted it's only the fourth performance so they need to work at it, and I think they played it enough in 2005 where they did, but just kind of, I guess, a tune-up, you know? Yeah, they just weren't confident with it yet, and like you can tell that the familiarity and the confidence is not there with a lot of these songs. Mike is doing a little something kind of different in sort of the lead-up to the end, and, and that sounds pretty good, but it's also not one of those 
killer Mike Solos kind of deal. He, he kind of keeps it by the book, even though he's mixing in some, some new techniques, I suppose, with the song. It's not right in the wheelhouse, but that gets you into even flow too. And, and I think Mike is part of the conversation on that. Just a lot of high pitch that like kind of, you know, needle nose kind of sounding notes and then some wild hammer-ons, very Hendrix, very Van Halen kind of sound. And it seemed like the only time that Mike had like a breakout in this, he yeah. did explode yeah. a lot in this show, but this one felt like it was one that he did keeps getting higher and higher right he keeps building on it and just when you think it's gonna break it keeps going keeps going keeps going he does it for a, as long as he can it's a cool effect that you get and it's a little bit unexpected after this start you know this kind of rough start that they had he's like nope the, here's one I, I i got this one we're gonna make up for for what you just heard here even flow is the start of i think probably the best part of this show here and the next few songs here are probably the highlight for me and there's a cool moment too you know after that ed does a little speech like i'm gonna give it to you if you want it gives it to the crowd asks them to help out and sing yeah you get to hear the crowd a little bit which is cool and they take it and do a great job and that always adds uh, this is our first night out we're not even uh we're just into the show i've almost drank most of the thing. Uh, it's been a while. I haven't even... Would you, uh, would you do me the, uh, the privilege of singing this next chorus on your own? Give me the day off, just for a chorus. Loud as you can, that kind of thing. Shall we? I'd be grateful. moment for that absolutely yeah. yeah the crowd's electric and of course you know this being a show that's basically a campaign for a democratic candidate for senate yeah yeah never vote a republican right yep never a better time to do it exactly faithful is coming right after and ed says kind of in the intro to faithful off of that point maybe you guys should sing for the rest of the night and i think it, it was kind of like I don't remember if this was in even flow or this was a little bit afterwards, but he's like, I'm not in top shape. Like I, I don't remember some lyrics and so, stuff Laughter, like that, but yeah, yeah. yeah like he, he's addressing like a lot here that, Hey, it's our first time. Take it easy on us. But look, I think faithful is a good highlight here too, because one of the, one of the things I don't think I've like addressed how much I love this, but I think my favorite part of faithful and maybe one of my favorite things on the yield record is stone's little like slide down in 
the chorus. I don't address that too often, but just that sound kind of brings this different element to it. I know it was written by Mike, and then I think Mike went to Stone and said, help me out here, what, yeah, the, what can we BJ bring 20 here? Bonus. Mm-hmm. Where he talks about writing and calling Stone up and being like, I got this part and this part. What do I do? And Stone, like, oh, you just do this and like go down. He's like, well, that's perfect. You're a genius. And it just like <laughs> made the song immediately. Yeah. I think Richard Stewart recently called Stone the mad scientist behind Pearl Jam, oh, which yeah. isn't a better way to put that, of course. But you have to go to the outro because before they get to the legit like M O I T H outro, it kind of goes into a little diatribe here. I think we want to believe. I think we deserve to believe. Something, something, something. It ain't trying to screw us or rip us off or tear us apart or kill us or take our lives or Lord have mercy. Yeah, it kind of almost connects with daughter in a way because what he's saying here and what he's about to say in daughter are reactions to the war that's going on still in 2005. You know, we still have Bush in office, we still have the war in Iraq, and uh, there's still a lot of anger coming out of this band. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, yeah, exactly. There's still a little hangover from the election, and obviously the Iraq war is still ongoing, and that's definitely leads into the next song. And Fox News, he's going to mention in Daughter, that was becoming more of a thing at this point. So he's he's talking about a little bit of like the way that the, the media is portraying things. And it's, yeah, this is a little thinly veiled commentary on that, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially in Daughter, which I mean, we're mm-hmm. on right now. The two speeches tie in together perfectly. Even the actual song itself just felt like it had great intensity. The darkness kind of feel instead of the poppy feel that you get from Daughter. And then that all leads, it's, it's kind of, you know, I think they all knew what was going to happen. I think that maybe the rest of the band didn't know that Ed was going to, you know, change the lyrics like this, but they knew that this needed to be an intense moment from this night. So the tag, well, it's technically another brick in the wall, but Ed makes it his own. And again, another reaction to what's going on in the world. We don't need no misrepresentation We don't need no Fox News reports Take your bias, shove it up your asses Don't you remember what the truth is worth Reporters leave Sydney Sheehan alone 
I don't know if people remember who Cindy Sheehan was, but she was really in the news. She was an anti-war activist. Her son was killed in the Iraq war. She was in the news a lot around this time. I don't remember her name at all, but I remember there were people at the time. And I think the idea was that Fox was basically calling her a crackpot. And they kept saying, like, don't believe her, don't believe her. What she's saying is anti-American and all that bullshit. But a lot of people that were technically from the Republican side, not for America, they were against you and they plotted them against you. And back then, maybe from the standpoint that we're at now and what happened in the last handful of years, it seems tame, but look at what it opened up the doors into ed gets into it he said he wasn't going to get into it but we're at a university here where these kind of conversations should be taking place having a little bit of experience becoming a father myself and this is gonna hit close to me what he's about to say i have a girl who's now a year old i felt like i was compassionate before but you don't realize that you will remember everything this child ever did from like walking to talking and everything in between. Again, I, I'm starting to, yeah. to see yep. that all develop myself. To think of losing a child to war, which motives are questionable at best. That woman, meaning Cindy Sheehan, deserves to be able to express her own opinion and deserves to be answered. She doesn't deserve to be called a crackpot when her son dies for a cause that's questionable. Again, like not beating around the bush with anything and he's just expressing it. And I don't think Eddie has ever had an issue with that, especially going forward, especially on politics. And anytime there's something that's going to piss him off. And you got to think that in 2020, if they would have had that tour, he was going to be really pissed off during that. And I don't think he was going to say a lot of things that were going to make some people happy. If you know what I mean? Sure. But you know, going back to the performance too, you mentioned it was a little, Darker, I thought Cameron really stood out on this. It really felt like he was pushing the tempo really on the front foot. Yeah, this is a good Cameron show. This is a very good Cameron show. I think it's Jeff's show too. And I think that in the mix, especially with the vault mix, you get to hear Jeff more prominently than you would on other bootlegs. Bass is hard to find that sweet spot for it in the mix, but with the vault, they can really take their time and, and do a nice job with it and get it sounding good. And I'm wondering if on stage, it was also a little bit louder to kind of, again, put him in full prominence in front of a crowd that is his hometown crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know that they would adjust the mix for that, but they have their sound. You know, they they do their sound the way they do it. But it's just comparatively, you know, think of all the other bootlegs we've been doing, you know, from the 90s and stuff like the basses were hard to pick out most of the time. So it stands out when you can hear it front and center like this. So after all the aggression and the passionate statement that he made about Cindy, you're going right into Lucan. And look, Lucan is one of the angriest versions of Lucan here. Oh, Ed's and worked up. Yeah. He's worked. Up. Oh, yeah. He, he got himself to the point where he was being able to channel this and feel this. However, usually when that happens, he gets really off base with the song. But for the most part here, not 100%, because it's never 100%, impressively, he gets most of the lyrics right.
he's rapid fire on this. He's doing it. The, the music matches it, so it, it fits in. He doesn't get lost because they're playing it faster than they normally do. I think you clocked this at what, like forty six seconds or something. That's ridiculous. yeah, right. That's a really really fast Luke. I I've clocked a lot of Lucans before. There aren't many under fifty. There just aren't. Yeah. You know, sometimes they'll kind of hold out the chorus for a little bit and kind of let that breathe. But this one had no breath. And this one also didn't feel like they were out of gas. However, maybe they were because what was going to happen after Lucan was a little drum interlude, which we know from not for you and make it into grievance. And then somewhere it went awry. Yeah, if you're listening to your vault, you may be going like, wait a minute, I don't hear that. Those sneaky That's little fuckers edited this out of the vault release. I think they just went, fuck it, move on. Yeah. And what caught me off guard when knowing that, because I, I did my notes off of the vault version from Nugs, my original point to all this was that Lukin into whipping was outstanding. I thought it was an outstanding transition. And Fred Eliasson, for, good job, man. He does a good exactly, job. <laughs> exactly. It was not the band's yeah. doing. It was the editing afterwards. But you know what? I went back and I looked at the numbers. Lukin before whipping had only happened eight times. Lukin before grievance had only happened four times. Remember, grievance in its prime in 2003 was getting played really early in the set and 2000 getting played really early in the set. But Lucan was always packaged with Not For You, so you can see why those numbers are minimal. In 2005, it, they hadn't found the sweet spot, like the groove with it that they would, you know, later with Not For You and things like that. But it works well with Grievance. You know, I thought if they had been able to pull it off, you know, you'd like I said, the drums similar to Not For You. I think it's a pairing that, that we probably should have seen more than, than we did. A quick point on, on whipping. It's just, again taking everything that happened within the couple minutes there, within the speech, within daughter, within faithful, that I feel like that's kind of the full circle on that section and the end of that section, because it's just another furious step on the gas kind of moment. And it lasts for about two minutes and 30 seconds. And look, this song is always furiously paced. You don't get a lot of versions that feel like you're, you're in a groove, maybe early on in 93, 94, but after that, it feels like they really took the song and went for it and, you know, didn't let up. And a lot of that has to do with Matt Cameron, of course, but the band was on top of this and they were feeding off, again, that, that energy from that whole entire section. We have three more songs left in the main set. It's I Got Shit into Nothing As It Seems and then Rear View Mirror. What from all this makes sense to you? I, I think Nothing As It Seems we have to kind of address as being the first legit Jaffe Amen song. Yeah, yeah. Again, it wasn't like 2018 where he made the set and they did like Pilot and a couple other songs. And I think they did nothing as it seems that night. But getting little kind of treats thrown in, they, well, they throw are the bass player a bone. Throw the bass player a bone. Give give him give him something. Yeah. He works hard over there. You know, the big talking point from this end of the main set coming off of what we've talked about is like after grievance, the technical hiccups, you know, the rustiness sort of fades away and they do pick it up. And these are three very well performed songs. You know, I got shit's great. 
Nothing Is the Seems as kind of the weird intro, which sounds really good. And then I thought Cameron was just excellent on rearview mirror just uh leading the way on that sounded very good they picked it up after whipping and ended up strong that's the way you want to finish yeah especially rearview mirror here i think that rearview mirror is kind of the good capper of what the main set was and bridge wise it felt like mike wasn't going too intense with what he was doing it was almost like very riffy they're speeding up the pace on it a little bit and then it gets more heavy than it does atmospheric that this song usually gets and i feel like you know, maybe it kind of kicks off in 2003, but it seems like 2005, for most of what I heard, was really the experimental time for Rearview Mirror. And I think you have to go back to the Buenos Aires version where they played like a 15-minute version of this right. where you hear like all the influence kind of blend in. But you know what? Like, I thought it had like a an experimental Beatles kind of sound, if you know what I mean. Like, it just felt like there were a couple of different working parts and it felt like while one guy would be on the same plane as as matt the other would just kind of be doing something on their own and and somehow they they put all those mindsets together and they made it all work just a long jam too and then getting into the end which is just again big big moment for a show like this and again we don't have a full video for this one but can you you know picture them all you know huddled around that just playing off of him on this one it felt like he was really the leader on this version obviously whenever it's played as a closer it just has that vibe of like all right we're feeling pretty good we're feeling pretty jacked up for the rest of the set with 10 more songs to go five in encore one and four in encore two and then a random encore three appearance from Ledbetter. this is a good one to finish off on and then build you back up when you're getting in encore one so Seeing as we are there, let's pause for station identification. Talk a little bit about some of the things on liveonfourlegs.com, some of the things on Patreon. Another wonderful week for new people joining. And to me, it seems like everybody was appreciating the reaction episodes and wanted more of it. And unfortunately, we weren't able to get you like a legit reaction from Sacramento and Vegas, obviously, but we rolled with the punches as much as we could. And now... When Europe comes along, we might be able to get more of an instant reaction because those shows are going to happen, what, at three o'clock in the afternoon, East Coast time, something like that. So we'll yeah, be able forward to not staying up until two thirty in the morning. Oh, yeah, that, that that is appealing. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll be able to get our stuff together and kind of figure out what the show was and kind of figure out some things. It's going to be tough during the day because we both have kids that we have to take care of. But the promise here and the hope here is that we'll still be on top of the concertpedia stuff. A lot of people love the concertpedia entries, so thank you very much for tuning in to all that and the episodes as well. So we'll still have a good rhythm with that once Europe comes along and then obviously in September as well. So let's thank some people. Why not? First, I want to thank a current patron that increased their pledge. And that's William Reese from down in New Zealand, Australia area. Look, I, I think he lived in Australia once. I think he lives in New Zealand now. I, you know, I've talked to him a couple times, but he is now the brand new Horizon Leg patron, and Great. it's so hard to find people to join the Horizon Leg, and I don't blame them. That's that's a big commitment, but we're so thankful for anybody that does want to join on that tier. William's been listening for a long time and he's been into this. So we definitely thank him. Just wonderful to see and just great for, for the support and the help. And we had a couple of new gig leg tier members as well. We have Jeff Tracy 
Thank you very much, Jeff, for joining. And Liam Lonergan, both to the Gigleg tiers. So thank you both right. yeah. for joining for $5 Thanks. a month. And we have a bunch of other people that joined on the bonus leg tier. Look, the bonus leg tier is great because you get all the same content that you would get on Patreon if you were a Gigaleg tier member or a Horizon leg tier member. You do get some other things that we can talk about in a second from the other two tiers. But look, if you just want to see what it's about, join the bonus leg first and then see if you want to kind of dig into it later. If you want to get a request, if you want to get a profile, then that's stuff that you kind of save for later on. Let's thank Todd Dubasik for joining on the bonus leg tier for the yearly subscription. Thank you so much, Todd, for joining up. Let's thank Miguel Puente for joining up to the same tier. Ryan Mulcahy, Tracy Charles, which I, I, I know Tracy. She's been following a lot on, on the groups and stuff like that. Nice. And I have not met Tracy before, but I know that she was watching a lot of karaoke stuff and she was definitely cheering us on. You know, it's always great to have the support from the great people within the community. So thank you very much, Tracy, for chipping in a little bit. Another one that was here at karaoke last week, Jeremy Hermata. I got to meet him for a little bit, got to talk to him and a couple other people for a little bit. And I'm very thankful that people from that night remember what we were doing and wanted to contribute so thank you so much jeremy and great meeting you hopefully we get to meet you again soon look nashville maybe we'll see another karaoke night oh that's amazing thanks to all those people again you guys when the timing is right and when the band is doing things that everybody wants to pay attention to i'm just very happy that you guys have even considered us the place to go to. So we're obviously done with the reaction episodes for now, but we are working on a couple of things going back to the Letterman series. And really it's the Letterman series from here forth, but the late night series that we've done all the late night appearances on TV, definitely go back and find those, go back and find those. If you want to listen to those, they're all in our archives. A lot of stuff in the archives for you guys to go check out. We're also working on an evolution episode. Should we tell them what we're doing next? Tell them they've been listening this long, so they earned it. Oh, she don't want him. She won't feed him. It's going to be nothing, man. That wasn't a karaoke song for me, but maybe I'll have to practice that for next time. We're going to get into nothing, man. It's had a, a very interesting history from the first time that they debuted it. And then in 95, completely abandoning it. And then all that time kind of in between it being the song that held together the man trilogy on its own once it kind of reached a plateau much later it became the song that the fans just gravitated towards and just started singing at the top of their lungs and we'll we'll get to some good stories that ed is told surrounding it and it's going to be a good one i think this is going to be very interesting to touch up on because it's definitely one of those songs especially lately with the richard suverud tie into that we'll be able to talk a little bit more and kind of almost come full circle with that we usually are able to come full circle with our evolution episodes so you know having that and having those stories to tell that's exactly what we want to be doing and once we're done with that we'll hopefully get a couple more in this year i know we've only had crazy mary so far but with the tour and a lot of things happening that we've been paying attention to with the website it was really tough we had to put it on the back burner for a little bit but now I would guess that in the next two or three weeks that we'll be able to see this one and uh, you guys should be able to enjoy that. We haven't mentioned this in a while. I do want to shout out our Discord. If you're on Discord, it's kind of a newer community-based social media thing. Please send us an email for a link. There's been some really cool stuff lately. It's a good group of people. I want to 
thank Patrick from Hallucinogenic Recipe posted a bunch of remastered bootlegs this past week and that was really cool and it's, it's always just cool stuff over there we have a lot of fun over there so if discord is something that you guys are getting into definitely hit us up because we have a fun one we could use some more people over there yeah it might be worthwhile with all the bootlegs that are getting shared you, you just never know what's going to pop up so and if you want to join patreon just head on over patreon.com slash live and four legs as we mentioned before the bonus tier gets you all the content the gigaleg tier for five dollars a month is going to get you a requested episode that we'll be doing sometime in the future on this show the horizon leg tier for ten dollars a month is going to give you the same as well as a profile on our website and a profile episode where you'll be able to talk about your Pearl Jam fandom. So if that's stuff you're interested in, patreon.com slash live and four legs or live and four legs, just search it on the Patreon app or hey, you can go to live on four legs.com and give us a hit for the website and click on the button, become a patron. It's on just about every page. Pretty easy to find. So thank you everybody for paying attention to that. I think we got to get back into the rock, back to Missoula. So Ed comes out after the encore, says, you've said this before in other capacities. You can't leave when the score is tied. You got to play overtime. We're trying to win this thing. This one goes out to the mayor of Big Sandy. I think small town kind of tying that in with the idea of, you know, how many small towns are there in Montana? Are there any big towns in Montana? I've never been. I know Missoula's a college town and it gets some traffic over there, some foot traffic, but there's not a lot of big places there. I don't think. Yeah. I've, I've never been to Montana either. So you didn't drive through Montana when you were doing your band stuff. Did not, did not <laughs> Wyoming and Colorado, Idaho. Yes. But didn't wow. get that far north. I mean, those States, uh, you know, C- Colorado at least has some big cities there, but yeah. Wyoming, Idaho. Yeah. Those are, those are tough ones. I'm sure not to offend anybody that are from those States, but you know how small it is. Small Town, yeah, just a good tie-in with where they are, and it's an anthemic-type version, sing-along without the intent of it being a sing-along. When I say that, I mean there's no pandering, and usually in a more recent version, Ed will kind of talk it up a lot, and he'll kind of play off the crowd and, and do that, and this one, he's, I think they're kind of in their zone, and the crowd finds the zone for themselves, and it kind of all comes together and sounds really nice. I think those are the versions of a small town I like the best. Yeah, this felt a little bit more like you're around a campfire and he's, you know, someone pulls out the guitar and is going to go for it. You know, it wasn't like the full-on rock electric version. And that, that fits the setting. You're out in Montana. You, it make, makes sense that they would play it like that. Yeah, this was good. Okay, we're getting another Jeff song from Binaural. It's going to be Slide of Hand. A lot of Binaural on this night and a lot of, it yeah, could have been yeah. more. It could have been more True. had Grievance True. been played, but mm, not quite. Didn't quite get there. Did you catch the changed lyric in this? There was a changed lyric, and I thought it was very interesting. No. Sometimes you're hitting this radio watching while others tune in their phones. While he was drifting. wasn't exactly the time where this quote would make more sense it feels like afterwards it would but the line is watching others tuned into their phones <laughs> my recollection of 2005 is that cell phones weren't quite what they were you know 
especially texting. If you had a BlackBerry, I think that was different. But you know, for texting purposes, it was a little challenging because you had to you know click a couple times in order to get a certain letter, and you know you couldn't do full-on paragraphs like you do now. And they're also, I think the iPhone came into effects like 2007 or 2008. Yep, 2007. Yep. Yeah, so it really didn't take a full hold of our lives just yet. But again, how many times is that ahead of the curve with this stuff? I mean, yeah, people, you definitely had your, you know, the flip phones and texting and I had a video iPod that I was using and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was starting to be a thing, definitely. We get to black. This is very interesting. I thought this version of Black, and look, this is the era of the Gretsch, of Stone's Gretsch, and you're going to get this sound mostly from 2003 until maybe a little after 2006, but definitely within 2006 as well. And what the Gretsch brings to it is kind of like a more like open sound, kind of a more banjo kind of sound. It doesn't quite hit the banjo level, but it's definitely more somber and, and doesn't get distorted at all. But it leads to versions of the song that feel very smooth. And I thought that this rendition especially got really soulful. Especially Mike's version. Usually Mike will just turn loose in this. And it felt like Mike kind of stayed a little bit behind the pack, a little bit reserved. And this was more about the rhythm of the song rather than sort of the extra amenities. Yeah, I think the changing guitar adds some of the timeless quality to it. You know, and that, that Gretsch has that kind of 50s, 60s rock and roll sound. And adding that to black gives it something like, oh, you know, it could have been like a Rolling Stones song in like 1964 or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it adds a little bit of that timelessness to it. It gives it a little bit more weight. I think, yeah, I like I like these versions. Ed prompts at the end, the crowd doing the do-do-do-do-do-do-do's, and that really sounded good. That really got the song into a good place and very, very nice ending with it. I, I thought that this version, very soulful, very smooth right from the get-go, and it just felt relaxing. There's a lot of different versions of the song where they can get very intense, where it can get very emotional, but this one felt almost as if they were doing more of an unplugged version that you would expect instead of what they actually did for Unplugged, you know what I mean? And I know I made a a couple comments on Unplugged in the last couple weeks that might be hot takes, but that that one, a little less so, you know what I mean? In In the vein of it, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Glorified G coming up next, and it's going to end with Glorified G and Alive, and there's going to be a little speech in, in between. And I again, fitting the anti-war theme of the night, anti-gun, and the version was pretty much to the point. I would say like near mint, almost like the album version sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get that a lot out of Glorified G after... 1995-ish, you don't really hear that, especially after the Dave A era. So to hear a pretty sound and pretty on-point version of Glorify G sounded pretty good. Especially after, you know, the first part of the set, which was rife with fuck-ups, to put it. That Glorify G was not the one. Yeah, it's impressive that they got through Glorify G. Yeah, definitely. You you would have thought looking at this that that would have been one of the major culprits, but no, they they got through it pretty good. All right, so Ed's speech here. There's a guy we've known for quite a while, a great friend and a great artist, loves architecture, loves painting and skateboarding. You know where we're getting to here. A great friend and a great member of the band, Jeff Amen. A little love to Jeff here, especially, you know, coming from where we are in 2022 and and this week. 
you know, testing positive for COVID. And I think that again, like we mentioned in the beginning, that just fits really nice to this time period and giving a little love to him, I think is important right now. And again, we're sending all our love to him to, to get better. And hopefully by this point he has, and the crowd, they love Jeff. Of course, he's a hometown guy. What are, what are you going to expect? They just, they chant for Jeff for a couple of minutes and they let it kind of go and they definitely react to it. I think Jeff says something sort of off mic that Ed laughs to, you know? Yeah, he, you know, he's he's not used to getting the spotlight like this. He, you know, he had his moment on the mic at the beginning. Yeah. And I'm sure he was like, oh, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to say anything else. No, nah, he's yeah, not he gets a, a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Give, get up for this crowd. They, they know who needs the spotlight. So, yeah, it's, it was nice to hear. I like this little part from Ed right here because this is kind of this is always something that you've thought about Jeff and the aura that he gives off as being like sort of a, a salt of the earth kind of guy and not like really digging into his fame and and none of the guys really do maybe Ed does a little bit but Jeff has always felt like he knows his roots and kind of you know yeah, he's, a, he's a punk rock kid yeah yeah right just very I don't want to say simple but just wants to be where he's comfortable and. Ed says here, it's an interesting barometer what kind of person a person is when they acquire a bit of money. What do they spend it on? Who do they take care of? What do they do for themselves? When Jeff got a bit of money from our band working in Seattle, the first thing he did was move back to Big Sandy. I think by knowing the past, he sees into the future, and if he's backing John Tester, believe what he says because he wouldn't lead us astray. How about that? That's yeah. a really wonderful yeah. thing to say about somebody that you spend so much time with. And obviously, I think Ed, Stone, Mike, and Matt probably know Jeff better than anybody in the world from spending so much time with him. It's great to see that the entire band finds things to love about each other after all this time. You know, most bands, maybe they go on tour and they're just like, all right, I know that there's some bands. I know that there's some bands that do this where they're not necessarily getting along with either the lead, lead singer or yeah, somebody definitely. else. Everyone's got their own bus. They mm-hmm. don't talk to each other when they're not on stage. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's great that still after all this time, still after 30 plus years that they're still able to, to love each other and, and not just be bandmates, but be best friends as well. That's great to see. Alive here fits kind of within the same way that Black was played. It's not like this completely anthemic version of Alive where it's just high-paced and highly energetic. It it feels a little bit reserved, and it's tough to call it reserved because it's a good version, but it feels in the way that what Mike is doing, sort of akin to some of the other stuff that he was playing on this night, he didn't go for it. He didn't quite go for it in this, and usually his solos on Alive are just mind-blowing, but not here. Not quite. It wasn't a highlight for me. Yeah. Nothing noteworthy. I think I, I agree. Nothing bad about it, but, you know, fitting within the pocket of the song is never a bad thing. So part of what makes him really good is kind of adapting to whatever. And for being the first night and trying to kind of get your feet wet with things. Hey, look, it's fine. He's obviously going to come out at the Gorge and other shows and, and really bring it on this. So, you know, maybe he was just feeling off. You never know what's happening with Mike. So chalk it up to that, I guess. All right, we're in the second encore here. In total, there are five songs left. There are four in encore two. But before the next one, Ed says, with your indulgence, Jeff and I are going to attempt something never before attempted. Incorrect. And he corrects his mistake. At least not in this building, because we never played here before. We might have played it at one other time 
and the time before it was played when it was written. It's a little confusing the way that he said it, but essentially the story is they played it on Rockline in 93, and Jeff and Ed were just both pretty wasted, drinking red wine, as Ed would say. And you can hear, I think my favorite part about that recorded version is that Ed just starts laughing when he says, sometimes it can change your mind. Like, it always, like, kind of catches me that when you think about it, it's not a studio recording. It's never been a studio recorded version. So you kind of have that raw flavor to it where, and I almost, whenever I hear the song, we'll be waiting for the laugh essentially. And, and no, it never came back because why would it? But the other time afterwards, shortly after this was the bridge school in 1994. They played a couple of songs on these nights where they didn't really touch them at all. I think night one was let me sleep and both being in the encore too. let me sleep was in the encore night one and B girl was in the encore night two. And obviously stuff like walking the cow and early versions of some vitality songs, like not for you. B-Girl feels appropriate here because, yes, it is a musically written song by Jeff. B-Girl, you're gonna die. You don't wanna be famous. You wanna be shy. Do your dances alone in your room. Becoming a star could become your Yeah, this is kind of his big moment to go to the front of the stage and get to play guitar. And like, you know, this is kind of my, you know, you have you have all night that you've seen and yeah. out a bunch of your shows. I've only been to nine shows, so I don't have as much of a history to work with, but I've gotten this one twice. So I can, I'm, I consider myself a little bit of a B-girl connoisseur, if you will. So... Yeah, I mean, I've seen him up close and personal play this, and it's it's fun to watch him kind of like, you know, the way you get to see him kind of interact with Ed by themselves on the stage. And it's really sweet because, like, they kind of have a moment, and he really concentrates, you know, playing that guitar, and he's really, you know, trying to make it through. And another one that they, you know, got after 11 years, you would think that it would be some hiccups, but they do a pretty good job with it. Again, like... Yeah. It's not a difficult song, but yeah, yeah, I've seen him mess it up. I have seen him mess it up. Yeah. 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 Just a nice moment. You know, I figure like, Hey man, we're going to, we're going to do the one where, where you come out to the front and play guitar. It's a nice moment for him. Yep. Give Jeff the nod. Absolutely. And they did this recently. What show did they do it at? It was the Oakland show. Was it the Fresno show? I can't remember. One of those, right? Yep. Oakland too. Oakland too. All right. That makes a lot of sense. If you are live footsteps, paying attention to the numbers and look, you don't have to listen to us to pay attention to the numbers. You can find everything that we get from this show from live footsteps. Yes. We might take it a little bit, a step ahead because we know some of the gritty functions that maybe not everybody has the access to, but you can find out that B girl 
in between the time of that Bridge School show in 94 and this moment right here had been missed for 331 shows. That's a lot. Not the most, but it's quite a lot. And since then, it's been played 23 more times. So, not again, not the most common song in the world, but I think 23 is way more than you're going to get for the next song coming up here. Ed addresses this as being another one that was played only once before, which is incorrect. It was played twice. It was debuted in Budapest in 96 and then played in Lisbon in 96. And then four times afterwards, I believe, London, Ontario, still in 2005, MSG in 2010, which I was happening to be in the audience for, Detroit in 2014, and Wrigley 2016, which you happen to be in the audience for. So we both got a taste of a very, very rare one here. And this is a 254 show delay and being played because it was about six human beings that worked together as a team. This one was at the top of the mountain. I think he's referring to somebody in that crowd who happens to be there tonight. The man is, of course, the architect for those great Bulls teams. And then much later, the great Lakers teams of the early 2000s, Phil Jackson. And Phil Jackson has a very, very large resume to speak of and a wonderful one of that. And he's also, I don't know if he was born in Montana, but he is a Montana resident. He does have a place out there. And that's kind of like his Zen zone, so to speak, you know, like he's very much into one uh, walking the sideline clipboard scoring the brain that that's him yeah absolutely yeah so we're getting black red yellow here exponentially serving perpetually unnerving vehicle swerving the adjectives they are all Freud walking the sidelines clipboard Scoring the brain Black magic painted trees It makes me say like i never think about this song anymore but when it comes up it's just fun you know i I don't think of anything sort of like oh well you know this version doesn't sound like this or they could have played it better here like i don't care about any of that stuff for this i just seem to just have fun with it whenever it does show up because it's just incredibly rare yeah i like the uh i like the bridge on this one too it has kind of a cool like chilled out bridge a little bit i like i like the really like the bridge in the song and of course this is a no-code outtake, so I'm, I'm yep. all in. And it, it's kind of sad that this has been kind of relegated to the basketball-themed shows. You mentioned that MSG 2010 one. They played it with Sweet Lou, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I wish they would have played it more because it's a fun one. Yeah, and look, even every time that Dennis Rodman's in the audience, they don't yep. do it. You yep. know, you have to think... They played it in Detroit because he played for Detroit for all those years before he was on the Bulls. So, yeah, like it makes sense there. But we've actually covered this four times out of the seven. So it's getting down to the nitty gritty. I think Detroit 2014 is on our radar for the future. I don't know about Lisbon or London 
from 2005, but we'll, we'll have to see. Like, nothing is off the table, but I think Detroit is somewhere down the line was a request. So we'll then be getting to five whenever that comes about. All right, Better Man is next. And I think that the focal point of this is that the crowd, again, is just singing at the top of their lungs. It's like more of a ripper. It doesn't last very long. doesn't have a tag. But Ed at the end has some like, like almost kind of in the same way that he does the end of Down in a way. Not exactly the same, but like the hey, no, 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 like that, that part obviously does in that song. Yeah, and it just felt fun. Like, again, you're coming off of two songs that they had not played since the mid 90s. So after that, you need a hit. And the, the crowd was ready, you know, coming back for this encore too, was ready to, to sing along to something. And this is a good choice. Felt like a lot of good vibes going on around it. Not a, not a tremendous, you know, uproarious version of the song, but. Felt, felt like it did the job. Yep, certainly did. We're going to get to Porch. We're going to get to Ledbetter. But Ed, thanks everybody for supporting them and supporting a great guy in John Tester. We've been doing this thing coming up on 15 years now, and we respect our audience more every single time. And thanks for even putting up with us with opening night wobbles. The alignment was a <laughs> bit off, so thank you for that. But after all this time, we send respect back for you. As far as supporting a candidate, we would never steer you wrong. We wouldn't take that respect for granted. Educate yourselves, and when the time comes, please vote. Another very passionate speech about what this night is about, for sure. And then Porch is coming up next, and there's a good conversation to have. Because 2005, I've always put together as being the tour where Riffy Porch really comes into full establishment. It was still one, two, three, four, fast porch in 2003. I'm not sure about 2004 because I haven't listened to every 2004 show. Look, when it comes to Riffy Porch, they did a little bit in 96. I think there was a version in 96 that we focused on probably in the last year. And then 1998, they might have done it once or twice too, but they really didn't dive out of that realm, you know? Now, from this point forward, if it didn't happen in 2004, this feels like the actual birth of Riffy Porch. What the fuck is this world unto you there? Leave a message on your star. Girl, and your voice one last time. Daily man, feel this good. Be my time by you. Would you hear me? Would you hear me? It's mentioned on the Two Feet Thick review, too. It says Port starts again with the slow, funky intro. So it wasn't something that was well-established, or else they, they wouldn't have mentioned it. But yeah, I think you're right. I think from here on out, it became the standard. We have talked about this since the beginning of the show and, and talked about how the differences between the early 90s ones and the differences between this, and obviously you guys know what we prefer, and it's not this version, but look, when it comes up, it's not like... You're just going to turn it off and say, nope, not taking it. you got to obviously make mention of it and, and talk about it. But I think it's interesting that 
this is sort of part of all that origin story evolution kind of speech here. The bridge is kind of interesting. It's another moment that you're so used to Mike taking the spotlight on and running with it, but it felt like it was more of a team effort sort of development here. This sounded to me a lot more Fugazi-ish than they normally do. It felt like really tense. You could hear, you know, each instrument kind of intricately playing around with everything else and everything was fitting together very well. Yeah, really good overall performance. No, no one really stood out, but, and again, that's the kind of the egalitarian Fugazi style. So that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, and you know, it hits pretty well at the end. It's got energy at the end. Matt does some big fills, some big rolls at the end. So yeah, Matt kind of establishing that it is performance-wise his best show, but it's really Jeff's show. You know what I mean? It's it's a Jeff show, but Matt is the one that really perks your ear on all this for sure. We're getting the rarity here. We're getting the encore three. It almost never happens. When it does, it's usually not much. But in this situation, we're getting a yellow lead better. And I think Ed beforehand just kind of says, we accept your thanks and appreciate your applause and give it up for the briefs who are from Seattle from earlier. Thanks again for everything. This is all for the good doctors in the audience. We haven't played live in a long time, you know, obviously going back to that, but we had no idea that there was this kind of energy waiting for us. So thanks again. They must be feeling really, really good about themselves and, you know, a good primer for that excellent, excellent gourd show that's going to come in a couple of nights from here. It's going to end with Ledbetter. What more can you say on that? Mike is doing some cool things towards the end, but I thought that this version of Ledbetter was pretty standard among the tier of Ledbetter ones. Yeah, definitely. I agree. That's not a slide on it, but it's like, yes, this is what you're getting. And, you know, this is technically a warm-up show. So, yeah, they're, they're not going not gonna to break out anything. Not not gonna go off script on on Ledbetter here. Yeah, that's that's a good way to end it. You know, it gets send everybody home with with an extra song. So yeah, nice nice ending. You almost never get the encore three, so I think yep. everybody's pretty satisfied after that. Especially this being a special show for Jeff, a special show for John Tester, special show for the rest of the band. Just trying to get their feet under them and figure out this whole touring thing again. So yeah, nice way to end it. All right, you're going first this week. All three right. moments. Give it to us. My number three is Evenflow, the mic solo, and then the crowd taking that last chorus and the last verse was was really good. And it was kind of the first big highlight from this show, so it really stood out to me. My number two is Black, Red, Yellow. Loved hearing that one. I think more than B-Girl, I think that one stands out to me just because it's a little weirder. And, you know, I always kind of gravitate towards the, the weirder side of Pearl Jam. And, they, and again, they got through a very well, cool bridge, very good performance after being on the shelf for 254 shows. And my number one's daughter, not just for the improv tag where Ed kind of gets angry and talks about Fox News, but for the performance as well, Cameron really stood out. And that's my uh, number one. Yeah, you know, maybe for the first time ever doing a couple things here that I haven't usually done in the top three for myself, and that's taking three songs that were played in a row and and using them in all three spots. Not in that order, but it's exactly what John's talking about right here. My number three is going to be Faithful. I really like the, the change in pace the speech that goes before ending the whole song. I, I kind of fell in love with that little slide in, in the chorus again. And I thought this was a very good version and sort of set the tone for 
what this section was going to be. And I thought that this was definitely the highlighted section of the night. That being said, my number two is Lucan. I Mm. don't think I've ever put Lucan in my top three before. That's not because we overlook it. And it's not because it's kind of like a, just a speed drill and that's it. But you have to really impress me with Lucan for me to gravitate towards it because you know, there are 200 plus versions of this. So you're not going to get a lot of differentiation. You're going to get some in the beginning of 1995, 96, a little bit. And then at the end, it's obviously what it's going to become is just a semi train wreck in ways. So hearing this version and hearing Ed being able to get that aggression out and then being able to express the lyrics in the way that he doesn't get an opportunity to like actually verbally along with the aggression state his mind. I was very impressed by that and I really, really liked it. And you know, I might've been saying before finding out that grievance was kind of a fuck up in between. I might've been saying the Lucan whipping combination here would have been the one. So, mm. but no, um, whipping was very good, but I, I'm, I'm leaving it off and not attaching it to Lucan on here. And number one is very obviously daughter, the speech, everything around the song, very tense. And that's the moment that defines what this show essentially was about because they're pissed off of everything's going on in the country. They're in Jeff's hometown to make everything better with trying to get a guy that is going to make the country a better place. And that's going to be his attempt. If they vote him in for Senate and they did, that's what they're going to support and they're supporting the right thing. So, all right, uh, let's give this a rating. I don't quite know where I'm going to go. I don't really quite know where you're going to go, but I have a sense of what's going to happen here. So state your case. Obviously, it's a vault release, so the band thinks highly of it. But this is probably one that I won't go back to, and I, I don't usually go back to it. It doesn't have a lot of those big moments that you get at Pearl Jam shows. You know, there's there's a couple, but the the daughter stuff is kind of dated. But... In some ways, it's very current. In some ways, it's also very dated. But yeah, this show just isn't like I don't feel I don't feel like it's a classic Pearl Jam show that like deserves to be in the upper echelon. And like the the B girl and black red yellow stuff is nice. That stuff came back in like two thousand five, two thousand six was when everything came back. So I'm gonna you know the no no covers here. We didn't really mention that. They don't really. Don't don't break out any covers. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a six and a half. It just Ooh. just not not one. I mean, not bad. I mean, uh, the the technical mistakes you can you can chalk up to to rustiness or whatever. But uh, I'm not gonna put this one high on the list. You know, I I do own the Vault record, but I maybe listen to it one time. Like this is this is probably not one that I'll go back to. Yeah, you know what? I like the show. I really did. I think it's important from the standpoint of it being a hometown show for Jeff and you just don't get that very often. Montana, as I mentioned in the beginning, is not really the mecca for concerts at all. So I think it's important to that crowd. And I'm going to give a little bit of a an edge to that. And I'm going to get a little bit of an edge to the campaign for John Tester as well. I think those are special moments. You know, performance-wise, it, it was pretty good. And I think that I overlook some of the flubs that were being made for the show, because I think the energy was right there for no means. It was the best show of 2005 at all. I it's probably maybe middle of the pack, but middle of the pack for 2005 is still very, very good. And 
you know, you got to think of the set list as well. They kind of dive into just about everything, but very high on yield, very high on binaural, pretty high on Riot Act as well. I like those aspects. I give this an eight. I enjoyed this. I had no, yeah, I had no bones to pick with it. Uh, we haven't just, had a discrepancy like that in a long time between no, us. Not in a while. Not in a we while, but you know what? There are things, time. yep, there are things that we have our differences on. And you know what? Yep. This, for this one, I, I I enjoyed the listen. I don't think by far, if I were to rank the boots, it would be in the lower half, probably. So maybe like, what? There's 10 boots out there. It might be like, it might be nine or eight. Who knows? I have to really kind of dig through all of them. It, it might even be 10 when the dust settles, but but not bad because I don't think they've really picked an awful show to be in the mix for what they would release as a vault. So, yeah, yeah, I thought it was fine. Okay. All right. As we continued on with our theme for May, which actually ended up making sense in so many different ways with doing the Vegas show and doing the forum show and kind of having those lead up to what one was the actual show and one was what should have been the show. And now this one was kind of like a tribute to Jeff and everything that happened in the past week. Our next month, we are doing another series. And now, you know, while the vaults kind of, you know, bring a a sense of what Pearl Jam is to the fold and kind of put it in the forefront, we're going to be focusing on six shows that maybe in a way, are forgotten a little bit. Most of them. There's a couple that you'll go back to and you'll remember for good reason because they're very, very good shows. However, we are doing a month of nothing but one-hit wonders. And by that, I mean dates they've only played one time, one time only. Can you name all six states? I can, but it's because I'm looking at the the list right here. Well, it still makes you smarter than everybody else. So why don't you reveal what our shows yeah. are going to be? Wyoming, Maine, South Dakota, North Dakota, Idaho, and Vermont. To share a little bit of a state secret here, Vermont will be an extra episode that will be on the main platforms sometime very, very early next week. It's a 1991 show. It's like six or seven songs long, like 35 minutes or something like that. It's going to be real quick. We're going to bring on Brian from Hallucinogenic Recipe to help us out with that because he went to school up in Vermont for a while in the mid-90s. So we'll have a little bit of perspective on what concerts and and you know things are like and why maybe Pearl Jam didn't go back there. But it should be good. The whole series should be very good. A lot of those shows, Boise. I've been waiting to do Boise for a long oh, time. I've been Fargo. waiting to do. I've been waiting for Fargo. I've been waiting for Casper yeah. as well. I think yeah. if, oh, if you watch yeah, the YouTube, on. I'm going to get you guys prepared for this. Watch the YouTube version of Casper. And that will be a lot of what we're talking about. The first 20 minutes of the footage there is very, very important discussion that we haven't really, we've touched up on, but we haven't really dug into the full scope of what that is. So that's going to be the sec. Well, actually Casper is going to be next week. Casper's going to be next week because Casper is going to be the actual Wednesday episode. I think yep. Burlington is going to be the um, uh, just a Monday extra bonus. But 
Yeah, we're doing we're doing Casper next week. So yeah, yep. definitely do that. If you've never watched the show on YouTube before, check it out and kind of check out what they're doing specifically in the beginning of the video and kind of explaining because it's it's just absolutely fascinating. It's a side of Pearl Jam we just don't we know about, but we don't get to see the visualization of. And it's just I can't wait to share that all with you. We'll have to break out that clip of Ed in the hotel room talking on the phone to the the radio that we did from San Diego. He was in the the hotel room in Casper. Right. Um for the winter in that phone call. Yeah, that'll be interesting. A lot of good stuff to talk about. And then obviously when we get to Augusta, we'll be talking about Dennis Rodman again. Yeah. A little bit of black, red, yellow. It was only a tease then, but we'll be talking about that stuff again too. And uh it's gonna be a fun month because I think a lot of these shows are either overlooked forgotten about or at least places we can kind of talk about why maybe pearl jam never showed up these places again they're not like key major states here or anything like that but all states deserve the love so we'll leave it at that and now we get to say goodbye this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways i miss you already i miss you always if you're on spotify if you're on apple Remember to rate us the five stars, leave a comment for us because all of that helps us get the visibility, helps us maybe get out to more Pearl Jam fans, which is very important. So with your help, we can achieve more and more and more. And if you don't want to help us achieve, then keep listening. And hopefully you've enjoyed and been entertained by what we do. So until Casper next week and Burlington, we'll see you next time. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff, 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 Jeff. You know, it's always interesting. Uh, it's an interesting barometer of what kind of, uh, what, what type of human being a person is when they, uh, when they acquire a bit of money. What do they do with that money? Where do they spend it on? Who do they take care of? What do they do for themselves? What do they, you know, how, wh- who are the other people they take care of? And I'll tell you, when, when Jeff got a bit of money from our band working in Seattle, the first thing he did was move back here. That's quite a while ago. I think by knowing his past, he sees into the future, and he loves this land, he loves this community, and uh, 
if he's backing John Tester, then he must be the guy because he wouldn't lead us astray. So that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> 